This content is issued by Zeus Capital Limited, which is authorised and regulated in the United Kingdom by the Financial Conduct Authority, the designated investment business, and is a member firm of the London Stock Exchange. Nothing in this podcast should be viewed as investment advice. Listeners should consult an investment professional before making any decisions regarding topics mentioned in this podcast. The views expressed in this podcast are those of the participants and not of Zeus. Please note that participants in this podcast may have financial interests in the matters discussed. Hi, I'm Nick Searle, a member of the Zeus Equity Sales Team and host of A Different Perspective. Here we interview interesting characters from the world of business and finance and uncover a different perspective. Follow us wherever you get your podcasts or contact me at live at zeuscapital.co.uk. It's Wednesday, 11th October. With me today, I have Richard Marholland. Richard is an expert in persuasive communication, an ex-rock and roll roadie turned entrepreneur and global keynote speaker. Richard talks around the world on several topics related to persuasive communication, including strategy, leadership and sales. Richard recently made the Real Leaders Top 50 Leaders to Watch in 2023. Richard, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me. Oh, lovely to see you. Now, where should we start? Now, normally I'll start with a bit of background, but why don't we actually start what you're up to at the moment it's an interesting it's an interesting thing because uh, you know in my business of persuasive communication presentation there was lots of worries that it would become irrelevant as the technologies have grown but actually what i'm seeing and what i'm obsessing over at the moment is what happens if human to human communication is an antidote or at least a protection around authority trust and the threat of ai so i'm obsessing over that at the moment and I guess it is all about human connection and c- communication. So how do you how do you use your? Or do you want to describe a little bit more about persuasive communication, and then we'll go into maybe how you use it in practical applications? Right. So if I take it to presentation, we have a theory on presentation that presentation's job, uh, and a presentation for me doesn't necessarily mean a, a human being standing up in front of an audience with a slide, uh, there's a lot of conversational presenting where it is a presentation of content with intent uh, to take an action. And for me, it's very simple. It's to deliver a message in order to evoke an emotion in order to achieve a desired result. So there must be a result. It shouldn't be just, you know, make me better. And so everything for me is based on what am I trying to achieve and how can I get a result out of it? And the world we live in right now, we tend to be very, very focused on communication from the point of view of just, hey, I just wanted to tell you my piece. It's just about me and what I can tell you. And I think that, one, that's flawed. Nobody cares about you, actually. They care about themselves. And two, uh, narrative in without a result is problematic. It's like giving a dog the peanut butter without slipping in the pill. So there has to be something inside it for it to make sense. And then how would you, how do you go around the world and, and, and embark on spreading this word of persuasive communication? What, is the, what are the nuggets to it? And how do you engage with, with business leaders to, to make this happen? Well, fundamentally, uh, communication and persuasive communication, you know, communication with purpose, is the weapon. The, the dragon is you know, solving the problems of leadership. And for me, it's very, very simple. The difference between a leader and a manager is your ability to communicate. That's the fundamental difference. And in any field, the expert that can communicate will always have an unfair advantage over the expert that cannot. So 
I think people have grown up not understanding that. They'll look at a field and they'll think, I've got to be the smartest person in the room. Yeah. But you never want to be the smartest person in the room, but anyway. Yeah, well, so, so we can hold on. So we're going to part, we're going to debate this <laughs> right now. Then what are you doing in the room? So I know that we've been told, and you're right, you don't always want to be the smartest person in the room unilaterally or yeah. uh, you know, yeah, if, broadly. Yeah, if, you, if you're invited into the room, you don't, yeah. But yeah. If, I, if I'm invited into a room, so we do a lot of work in financial services with yeah. executives, and if I'm not the smart, I don't have, I'm definitely not the smartest IQ in the room, but if I'm not the smartest presentation strategist in the room at that point. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, but you're right, I, yeah. I, I absolutely take your point. But a lot of people think, well, I've got to be the smartest actuary but actually, you've got to be a smart enough actuary that can communicate. Correct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that communication is quite right. And um, I can see we sort of mentioned it in, in our sort of uh, prep work th- th- just a minute ago, that the focus on technology and now wide internet, social media, communication comes in a very linear form and may not even be true and real as we move into sort of more wider AI adoption. So I guess it is all about this human. Do you feel it's about this human connection? And how do you how do you persuade someone? I guess I'm asking, what are your tools that you you embark on telling people to 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 make the communication persuasive so you get that nugget of action at the end? So the first is intent or action. Yeah. Most people communicate to get their message across instead of to make the other human take action. Our framework is very, very simple. We call it the action framework because it's not a communication framework. It's an action, a framework designed to get a human to do something. And there's four steps. I want to give you a reason to care. Then I want to give you a reason to believe. Then, only then, do I want to tell you what you need to know. And then I want to tell you what you need to do. And that is a narrative journey. Uh, uh, I don't know if we're going to have to beep this up, but we talk about humans having a gas tank, Mm -hmm. a give a shit tank. Yep. And by default, when I get on stage, to communicate anything or when you stand up in front of a board meeting, your audience's give a shit tank is empty. Yes. And the first thing you have to do is fill it, is make them care about something. Yeah. And you do that with two things. You have to create two things simultaneously. Great books have this as well on the first page, clarity and curiosity. Yeah. So I have to be aware of the topic. I have to understand, oh, we're talking about this. But then what I have to do is you have to give me something of novelty. Mm-hmm. So a counterintuitive, counter-narrative, yep. something that makes me think, oh, wait a minute, I've never thought about it that way. So so if I can create... So it's, cl- like, it's like grabbing that attention. Yes, it, or it's, it's making them care. Yeah. So, so as yeah. soon as... You, so if I can produce anything that has a gap in knowledge for you, yep. and it's something that, I, that you think you should care about, then it's an itch that you want to scratch. But what most people do is they stand up and they don't do that. They try and, first of all... They get confused by social media. So LinkedIn for me is a great example. I, actually, LinkedIn is probably my favorite social media. But most posts I hate read. And, and this is going to sound like the most intellectually snobby thing that I've ever said in my life. And so you can absolutely call me out on it. But I see most people's posts and they're absolutely, it, I'm not saying I disagree with it. I'm just saying it's complete. It's so normal leaders need to do these you know mm-hmm. great things yeah, yeah. that everyone is saying they're pushing the like button not because you made them smarter but because you validated what they, they already, already know. thought yeah and yeah. so most of us so it's an echo chamber it is an echo chamber whereas i want to lead with novelty have you heard of julian shapiro at all no he's yeah. my favorite writer if you ever get a chance to go to julian with a j.com yeah. he has a a novelty framework for writing that I think is so good that I couldn't even reappropriate it in any way as my own with rewording because this is so perfect. And he talks about four novelties. 
the first novelty is you want to be counterintuitive. Mm -hmm. The second novelty is you want to be a counter-narrative. So the one would be, uh, I want to tell you something that didn't seem natural. Oh, that didn't, oh, I never thought about it that way. The second counter-narrative is, oh, that's not what I've been told. Again, the smartest yeah. person in the room. Yeah. Uh, the third is an elegant articulation. So you say something that everybody's already said, but you say it in a way that no one has said it. Mm -hmm. So the subtle art of not, uh, you know, yeah. that is just don't sweat the small stuff. Yeah, exactly. It was written exactly. in 99. Exactly. Start with why. Is every book yeah. on purpose ever yeah. written? Yeah. But the elegant articulation. And then the fourth one is kind of where the futurists sit. Uh, it's it's kind of the easiest one, but it's quite exciting. It's shock and awe. Ooh, look at that. Mm -hmm. And so you lead with one of those four novelties. Then you care. Now, if you can link one of those novelties with something you care about, now you sit up. Now, as a, a communicator, I filled your gas tank. Yep. My job then is to use that to go to the next step, build trust. So here's my reason to believe. It could be about me personally, but more often than not, it's about my research I've done. Or So there's some sort of credentials or there's some sort of stapling, some form of, of belief, I guess. To, to what you've said. Right. Uh, when we work with corporate clients, though, when you, when they say reason to believe, they're like, oh, great, okay, here's our organogram, here's our client list, yeah. here's the things. They say, well, actually, you don't need to do that. Your reason to believe could simply be a little bit of research data that you found. They've just got to know that there is rigor there, that, that it's not an opinion, that there is something to it. So whatever, whatever makes you think, okay, I, in step one, I've learned to care about something. In step two, I've been given information that makes me think, Oh, uh, okay. I can now trust this person on what I now care about to, to give me an opinion, a measured opinion on what I care about. Then we, once we have that, a reason to care and a reason to believe, now we go into the body of your, your communication. Yeah. And only then we go into tell them what they need to know. The mistake with most communicators is they start there. So a business executive mm -hmm. will stand up in front of all his team at his company strategy roadshow and he'll jump straight in to tell them what they need to know. And the people in the audience, they just don't care yep. because what's big in their world isn't big in the world. And they communicate in the language. Most leaders communicate in the language of the government, but they forget that they're communicating to citizens. Yep. And then finally, the most important step that everybody misses is you have to tell them what they need to do. Because, you know, if action followed knowledge, we'd all have six packs. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I guess it's interesting, isn't it? Because we do a lot of work with young companies here and look to raise capital for those youngish companies and a big part of what we do is writing the the deck and the presentation to take to investors and it's it's incredible because most companies i think you're very right most ceos would start on the need to know as their front page i'm much happier that we start with a care or a an unmet market need i.e a care or or some clarity of why they're here rather than just launching into what the company does straight away so i can see why yeah, these four points would be very useful for, for corporate leaders. So in my, in my newest book, Here Be Dragons, I talk about the idea, we've been sold a lot about storytelling, you must tell stories yeah. and things like this, but, and, and the hero's journey. The thing is that most heroes aren't heroic until something happens. Luke Skywalker would still be a moisture farmer if it wasn't for Darth Vader. Yeah. So what we need to do to make people care is we've got to show them the, what I refer to in our kind of term as the dragon. And there are three dragons. There's a dragon of discovery, a dragon of opportunity, or a dragon of catastrophe. So uh, if, I go, if I go and find this thing, the discovery is the here be dragons, Hicksan Dracones of the old explorers. You yeah. know, yep. The dragons must exist somewhere. Let's go yep. to unknown territory. 
the dragon of opportunity is the sleeping dragon that stands between you and the the cave of treasures. Mm -hmm. And then the dragon of catastrophe is a big fire-breathing dragon that's attacking you. Yeah. Now, humans will not move from comfort because remember, most people are living in some degree of comfort. It's a path of least resistance. Path of least, yeah. That's like, I wish I'd used that term because yeah. that's what it is. Yeah. It's a path of least resistance. So you have to create a very compelling dragon for them to move. Yes. And most people fail to do that in pitch decks that we've seen. It's like, yeah. you've, not, you've just not made me yeah. care enough. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And caring is a very, um, is a natural emotion, I guess. And if you have that, caring almost brings in your own interest. And all of a sudden, if you spark that attraction or attention, I think caring is actually very important. So I was wrong about this for years. For the first, Missing Link has been going for now 26 years. I started when I was 22. And uh, when, when I started it, the early years, maybe the first two or three years, we came up with a definition for persuasive communication and presentation, which is to deliver a message to achieve a result. Mm -hmm. But the problem is when you hear it just like that, you're delivering a message and you think that the message is the result. The message equates the result. But years later, and maybe you know, five, 10 years ago only, I realized, no, no, no. The job of the message is to evoke the emotion. Yes. The only thing that can achieve the result is the emotion. If you care enough to do something, if there's enough of an emotional pull then you will do something. No amount of information in the absence of emotion will lead you to action. So the information is only there in service of the emotion you're trying to create to drive action. And it's bringing emotional intelligence into the business world. And I think 100%. That's, I think, that's, I think that, yeah, the Venn diagram is, is, is there. And actually the bit in the middle, I guess, are successful entrepreneurs or successful um, business leaders because they can bring that emotion into the corporate world and I guess that's what you're doing to a degree totally and you know when you asked me earlier about the frameworks and things that we do yeah. uh, you know the reason I dodged the question for this long is because I, it's, it's you know I'm almost embarrassed to say all it is is classical rhetoric yeah you know there's not Aristotle figured this out <laughs> so long ago that all I'm doing is maybe elegantly articulating some things for today but his theory of logos, pathos, and ethos, and the intersection of those three things, it must be knowledge, we understand. Yeah. It must be trustworthy, pathos. Yeah. And uh, uh, there must be uh, logos, patho pathos, I must care about it, I must think about it, and there must be trust. Yeah. Right? All that was missing for me is that uh, action. That, that it's not even enough of those two things. Because a documentary can give you information, you can care about it, and you can trust it, and then you can turn it off and go and have dinner. Yeah. But did you ever see Inconvenient Truth? Yes. So what I loved about that is at the end of it, he said, now you must be thinking, what could I possibly do? Oh, yeah. This is, you know, the world's gone to hell in a handbasket. And so then he turned around and he said, but it's easy. Next time you go shopping, all you have to do is, and I'm, this is all you have to do, is instead of buying the normal light bulb, yep. buy the energy saving bulb. Yep. And then off I went, I bought the energy yeah. saving bulb and then I started recycling and now I'm a bloody vegan. Yeah, exactly. And all I was doing was watching a stupid... Exactly. But he gave you the smallest single action yeah. to take. Yeah. Because we are built on small actions. It's that one, f one step in front of the other, isn't it? It's the... Yeah, even Dave Brailsford with his Olympic cycling, it's that just small marginal, marginal gains. Marginal gains. The whole sort of um, atomic habits kind of idea that if we can all do those small marginal gains we become better people as Instagram would suggest that that's what you do but you're quite right you're quite right it's if people make that and I guess you feel you'll feel better within yourself about making that small step and that change 
Right. We, well, because we're consistency machines. Yeah. So we want to remain consistent with something. So the moment I go and buy an energy-saving light bulb, what I've just told my brain is, hey, I'm a person who cares about the environment. Yeah. And now I'm looking and I'm walking it's up to a bottle weird sort of a validation, isn't it? Right. Total validation. And uh, so we don't like to be inconsistent. This is where that cognitive dissonance comes into play. So again, when we're trying to persuade people to do something, if I tell you to do X, what I want you to do, that's very difficult. It's usually too big a lever to pull. Yes. So what I have to do is to tell you to do the smallest single action that sets you on the stepping stones where the only way you can get across the river without going backwards, which is very difficult, is to carry on going down there until eventually you reach the other bank where yeah. I wanted you in the first place. Yeah. Asking you to jump across the river to the other bank, that's far too much. And leaders do that all the time. Yeah. They sell the idea of the, the end state rather than just communicating the basic citizen-level behaviors that people have to do. Because I guess also humans want that weirdly instant gratification of those small steps. So, y and if you, uh, maybe not everyone's like me, but if you do something, you do it well, and you, you are you know, praised for it or rewarded for it, guess what? You're going to do it again, aren't you? So the book I'm writing on, uh, working on at the moment is a book called Streaks. And it's basically the idea that the biggest superpower in the world, so I go to war with habits, because habits are an end game. Yeah. Right? So once something is habituated, you know, if you sneeze, you, you yeah. cover your mind, whatever. Once it's habituated, that that is an, you're at the end state. Yeah, yeah it's so a when total people, utility, isn't it? Yeah, you're there. Yeah, yeah. Totally. So when people say to you, you just need better habits, I'm like, oh, thanks, Captain Obvious. Yeah, yeah, yeah brilliant. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, but I had yeah. better habits. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <But> <laughs> if only I ate the apple, not the donut, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yesterday, we had two of the best donuts I've ever had in my life. Uh, if you get a chance, there's a donut stand outside King's Cross Station. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Anyway, so um, I had two. Because I've not habituated yet, you know, having celery. Yeah. <laughs> so what I think I try to think about what are the building blocks, because I'm one of these people that if I do not watch my weight permanently, I will just be overweight. So I've, I've got to do it. And so I, I realized that I like the idea of streaks. So if I monitor a streak and if I have a system for streaks, whereas. So is, is, is that is that yeah, I'm sorry, I'm going to cut you off. Like she's actually waiting here. But is that sort of running a mile a day for a certain number of days. Uh, yeah, so you keep going and right. mentally you know that you've got to do it. It's a bit like me getting my ice bath. I need to know I need to get my ice bath every day and I quite like knowing how many days in a row I've done it. I would argue if you didn't know that, uh, there's a massive, there's no loss aversion. Yeah. So you, you mile a day is an organization called Street Runners International. And my parents got married in the summer of 1969 in Scotland. And uh, there's a guy who's run a mile, the head, the best guy, who's run a mile a day uh, every day of his life from two months before my parents got married. I told my dad this, but yeah. I was like, all right, son, but he's not married to your mother. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> and he's not wrong. <laughs> but now here's the thing. That guy is woken up today and he's got a decision to make. Do I break the streak of 50 something years, yeah. 54 years, yeah. 53 years, or... Do I run a mile, even though it's crappy weather? Yeah. It is infinitely harder for him to cancel the streak. So I tried this the other day. I'd used um, a, a bit of software to read every day from, and I wanted to be, you know, be a lab, a rat in my own lab. Uh, it's called uh, Reword, and I, I use it, and every day I read an article in this app. And I thought, okay, I've now got what I need from it, this habituated morning reading. I don't need this streak anymore. Oh. So I wrote a little journal entry and a passage for my book saying that I'm quitting it. 
And it took me 10 more days before I eventually was able to quit it. Because then I thought, well, I'm about to get to a run number. I'm about to get yeah. like 400. Yeah. So let me just carry on. So what happens is if you do your ice bath every day and then you can't do it next week because you're, you know, Traffic. in New Yorker, yeah. then you're like, oh, well, th- you know, then doesn't matter because then you just start again. But if I tell you that you have done an ice bath four times a week for five times in a row, and if you do not do it today, uh, you will fail your streak and you'll have to reset from yeah. one again. You will yeah. run a cold bath yeah. in the yeah, thing, throw some ice cubes in it. Or stand under the cold shower. And stand under yeah. the cold shower. Yeah. Because you don't want to break your streak. Yeah. So what we need to do is to create loss aversion inside ourselves in order to stop us from, from you know, to allow us to habituate things. And although not business related, I think it's health related. We discussed again before we started recording wearables. And the fact that my whoop now gamif- gamification of health that if I don't go to bed half an hour early, I'm not in the green section. And actually, do you know what? I quite like being in the green section because that's quite cool. And I opened my group in my WOOP. I opened, I'm a member of Entrepreneurs Organization yeah. and there's an Entrepreneurs Organization group. And I open it every day and I'm like, oh, and I, I mean, I shouldn't care. It's so ridiculous. But I even care that I've gone to bed earlier than another entrepreneur that I've never met somewhere around the world. But that game makes me go to bed earlier. Um, and my parents are learning Spanish. And Duolingo, for them has this gamification of language, and my poor mother's like uh, up at 11 o'clock just making sure she doesn't miss her streak. Right, and Duolingo is the best example of this, and if you read the marketing officer, chief marketing officer, but if I was working with startups, I would be, the first thing I'd be saying to them is, what streak are you asking your users to, and how are you making sure they stay on streaks? And uh, Duolingo is so smart. So some things, uh, some some apps will say if you if you break your streak it's okay you can you know read an article a day later and you've yeah. got three days to do it reword works that way, but uh, Duolingo says oh did you break your streak give us a dollar, yeah. and it's so absurd, it's so absurd because it's completely unrelated but you're like, okay, and you give them a dollar and it's a fine for not standing on a scale, uh, for sorry I was yeah. going to say this for yeah. not doing your language lessons for the day, but you pay that fine. And then your streak is maintained. And then two weeks later, when you say, I've done 500 lessons you know, for the last 500 days, you completely recoded yourself. Yeah. You don't say, oh, but I missed 20 yeah. days. I paid 20 quid. Yeah. yeah. That's incredible, actually. Um, and so do you want to talk a little bit more about Missing Link, how it came about, and, and, and the sure. services you actually provide? So <laughs> the origin story was quite bizarre. I used to tour with uh, bands, like I toured with Iron Maiden and Def Leppard and Bon Jovi. Uh, but I, the way that the touring crews would work when they would come to Africa is you would pick up a level of a tour and you would, t- you know, tour with a band there. Yeah. So I started when I was 19 and uh, I managed to grow quite quickly. We're a very emerging market. Apartheid had just mm-hmm. fallen yeah. and all the bands were coming to South Africa. So it was a heyday. Everybody wanted to come. And I was very, very lucky, except in winter, South Africans don't go to concerts. Uh, that's kind of hilarious because I come from Glasgow. Yeah. If we didn't go to concerts when the weather was bad, you'd never go exactly. anywhere. So I, I quickly realized there was two kind of groups of concerts and things that happened. So I had to go and have work. Uh, you know, I did scaffolding and did yep. some work with broadcasting. Uh, but I realized that raves, they happen mm-hmm. all year round because apparently if people take drugs and stuff, they, they're fine. And then they're, cor- war- they're warm at least. Yeah, they're warm at least. Yeah. And corporates, corporates have their big conferences all the time. So I went to my boss and I said to him, I think we need to, we did a lot, of, a lot of raves, but I said, I think we need to do corporate, big corporate conferences because 
uh, like, like we've got all of this gear. At the time, we were the second largest staging company in the world, uh, based out of Johannesburg, mm-hmm. and we, you know, we weren't working for a few months. Yeah. So I went. We started a division called PSL Conference Services, and I just went to the CEOs of these big companies, like our big banks in South Africa, and I sold them the idea that I could turn them into rock stars at their conference. And you would think now I'm, you know, turning 49 next week. Now I know I'm not over that. But when I was in my 20s, I was thinking these guys won't care about that. Yeah. They absolutely care e- about that. Ego is an incredible thing. It's it? an incredible thing. We would work with banks and they would say to us, um, we did want, we had to do a, a presentation to teach their people to cross sell. And they gave us 100,000 Rand to do it. And I said, that's not nearly enough money to, to you want your entire 40,000 staff, you want to teach them to cross sell for 100,000 Rand. But then they, I had to walk away from that meeting. I couldn't do it for the budget. I went upstairs to the head of their retail bank and he gave me half a million rand for a one-day conference to his leadership team, Ego. So they yeah. want to be these things. Anyway, so what happened was I would go out and I'd tell them the lighting, the sound, the AB, the staging. And these guys would walk in and music would be playing and you know videos yeah. going off and everything was amazing. And then the, everyone was cheering and everyone was there, we will rock you, whatever. And yeah. the guy gets onto the stage and he feels like Steve Ballmer. And then the m- music would end and then he would give the most shockingly shit presentation yeah. you've ever seen. And people look at him like, bro, what is going on? What just happened? And I realized I'm a cure for the wrong disease. So I started moonlighting. I met a designer and I said, listen, we can help them make this better because I saw the ones that worked. And after about six months of moonlighting, we had five employees and uh, you know, it seemed like a legitimate business. So I quit my job and started Missing Link. I was 22 then. And yeah. And all South Africa based, so you now globally based? How, how 30% of our revenue is global. Uh, we tend to do a lot more work in uh, the US than the yep. UK. Yep. And bizarrely, it's just I don't know if you felt it, but uh, we found that UK businesses don't enjoy, they're slightly more parochial and they want to see you. So now we have one staff member moved over and works from London, and so we can try and build it. And I'm moving over next year, uh, just to try and grow this aspect of our business. And then, is it a, a one-off? Con- how, you, how would you work with a corporate? So how how are you retained, and and what what's the actual solution that you provide? Where's the the end the end credit? So there's there's three areas, right? Uh, a good presentation or communication is written before it's designed, before it's delivered. So yeah. you have to kind of work on those things. We have a sister company that I also own called 21 Tanks, and we work with businesses on victory condition design, strategic destination design. Uh, so what is the strategy that the business wants to come up with? And we have a whole methodology for, for helping them uh, think about that in a different way. Then what happens, because I believe fundamentally that the part of the reason that most strategies fail is a failure to communicate them effectively. Yes. So then what happens is Missing Link will get involved and say, okay, so how do we drive that victory condition into a business so people understand how they got to win. But aren't all strategies just more revenue, just growing revenue? <laughs> if your strategy is just, if your strategy is a number, uh, nobody will care about it except for the exco, the yeah. executive committee. Yeah. So that's why we like the idea of, uh, there's a great line by a guy called Mike Basile, and he said, it's not about the number until you know what it's about, and then it's about the number. Okay, yeah. So when we go to businesses and we work on a victory condition for them, if the victory condition is an, a, a more revenue, then there, you only have two levers you can pull. That is, uh, you know, sell more or market better. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And for most of your organization, that's uninteresting. They don't know how to behave differently. But if you can make it that your revenue growth 
is a byproduct of a certain behavior. Yes. Yeah. Right. So our victory condition a few years ago was 20% uh, offshore revenue. And so everybody was measured about, is this getting us closer to that? If we didn't get closer to that, then we had failed. And that's the measurement criteria. Of course, the output of doing that is that we built a business. And, and by the way, the first thing we had to do is to change the way we priced, to change the way we operated, mm -hmm. to change mm -hmm. the way we did things. So, so many changes in the business had to change in order for us to get there. So do you need a name for that strategy? So do you, do you need a, a target? Not, not financial, but some form of some form of vision for that strategy. So that's why I use the term very specifically a victory condition, a strategic destination. So let's, let's challenge strategy for a second. Uh, strategy as a technology is very interesting to me because up until the 1970s, businesses didn't run with strategies. Yeah. They were very, very tactical. So they looked at what the market did at the moment in time and then they, they reacted to yeah. it and they changed. And it, along comes Michael Porter and Bain and yep. said, well, hold on a second, guys. 1980, we know 1980 is going to look almost identical to 1970. Yeah. Take a broader time horizon. Yeah. And this made perfect sense. So we started saying, if you take a longer time horizon, instead of just doing things on quick repeat, rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat, you can actually build more momentum because yes. you're thinking further yes. out. Yeah. And this made perfect sense until 2023. Yeah. When if you, if you find me a CEO that says that they have a good sense of what their business will look like in 2028, yeah. and yet we still have the same technology of strategy, and which is we must follow these steps. It's like, a, it's like a route map to get to Heathrow. Yeah. A victory condition says you have a flight at 5 p.m. today. You need to be at Heathrow by 5. That's all I'm telling you. Now... I say to you, you've got to get to Heathrow by five. I could give you what I think is the right way to mm -hmm. get there until such time as it's not. Yeah. yeah. And then you're going to The tube is broken, the train doesn't work, Yeah, the traffic, whatever it might be. Yeah. Right. So our argument is that what you need to give people, there are three forces that humans want at the moment. At the moment, they seem to want to be driven by some degree of, of purpose. Like, yeah. I've got to know why I'm getting there. The second thing is they want to feel that they have a degree of autonomy. And the, second, the third force that we need to have is agility. So we need to be able to change fast. I need to feel that I have control over what I'm doing and I need to know why I'm doing what I'm doing in the first place. A strategic destination does all of those levers. Mm -hmm. It says, if our business is not here by then, we have failed. Your team has just got to figure out everything that you do just needs to get us closer to X. What strategy typically has done, and of course, a lot of people have evolved their strategies to be more strategic destinations, but typically strategy says, these are the steps that you need to be taking. So the one tells you what to do. Mm -hmm. The other tells you where to go. Yep. And in the world we live in right now, I would argue that your job of a leader is to communicate to your staff where they need to go and let them figure that out. Yeah, I guess give them that autonomy to get there. Not necessarily the, the destination, but not the route. 100%. That's what I think the future of strategy is for the world we live in right now. This is where we need to be until we don't. Uh, you've got to figure out the route. And if I was a leader today, and what we present when, when we get leaders to, to work it out, they present the victory condition to their teams, and their teams must present the path to victory back to them. And what sort of corporates have you worked with? You, know, you also mentioned the banks in South Africa, but is it you know, the, in the US? Is it, is it technology? What sort of sectors? Who, 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 who wants to um, employ your services? Typically, uh, we work with financial service firms. Uh, that's always been our biggest market, insurance companies, banks, things like this. Uh, I had a meeting yesterday in London with a law firm that we're doing some work with. 
and then we've worked with many of the big technology companies, but they're much more on the training side. So we obviously train people to present and communicate yes. better as well. Yeah. And for, let's say, the law firm, is that for internal is that was that to engage with their clients in a better way or is it or is it the same is it the same because if they work better internally they're going to communicate better with their clients anyway i wish it was i mean you've already intuited what i wish was right it is the same if we understood how to present better generally we could apply that knowledge specifically but so, peop yeah. people don't buy that because nobody nobody's got a line item for that on their kpis so we sell our story seller sales program, help you to sell better and use persuasive communication to sell better. We've got unfair advantage, which is help them to uh, present better using you know, persuasive tools because people buy better sales. They buy delivery of strategy, make my roadshow nice. Mm -hmm. What they don't buy is generally make me better at communicating. Yeah. What I've spent my life trying to sell and will die a failure is to make, why does your business not have a chief presentation officer. What is wrong with you? There is nothing of significance that has happened in a big business that does not happen at the other side of a presentation. Yeah, I completely agree. You only get one chance to make the first impression. Completely. And, and yet we're bad at it. And I read a bit of your stuff before today and you have a very good phrase and terminology about sales and how everybody is a salesperson or should be selling uh, and that might be your you know, finding a life partner hanging out with colleagues whatever it might be uh, everyone has to realize that uh, sales and communication is a massive part of what we do on a day-to-day -day basis both corporately and socially I think it's one of the biggest mistakes we've made in the world that we live in today is that we do not give enough respect to salespeople right so first of all you're right so to, uh, Dan Pink has a great book at the moment called To Sell is Human. Like, selling is human, right? D we do it all the time. You know, I had to sell my wife, like you said. Like, yeah. uh, you, to, you know, I have to sell my kids on everything. Yeah. Yeah. Everything is, is sales. But for some reason, we people, it's amazing to me that salespeople find euphemisms to describe what they, oh, I'm in business development. Oh, I'm, a, you know, yeah. the chief uh, yeah. market channel officer yeah. of such and such. What do you do? Oh, well, I, you know, I'm cold calling. For, yeah. Don't, you don't have to apologize. That's amazing. There are very few business problems in business today that cannot be solved by better sales. And by better sales, I don't necessarily mean more sales, better sales, sell better to, you know, fewer to better customers, yep. uh, to quote Howard Mann. And uh, we, we've got this mindset around sales that is completely skewed. You know, I, the startups you work with, I imagine if, if you met a founder that can't sell his idea that's it well exactly i mean but everyone has to everyone and i think you're quite right and i guess also in this new modern world of text messaging and and non-verbal communication and post-covid even i find this when we're doing video calls there's nothing better than having someone in front of you talking talking that i guess it comes to that care and belief and empathy when someone's sitting opposite you and if you're merely communicating by whatsapp i just uh, i think you lose so much n sort of nuance of, of communication that it, it's is it a social skills are being lost and this is the unfair advantage this is what we i don't know if you do you remember when you first started using ChatGPT, and it was frustrating because you would write a sentence and i never realized how much work you're doing to fix the things i'm saying 
So I've said certain things throughout today that if I listen back, I'll think, like, I can't believe I said that. Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't mean it that way. But you got it. And your yeah. listeners are getting it. Yeah. Because we have fixing machines in our brains. Exactly right. But when I first started using ChatGPT, it has a terrible... Yeah. It pointed out how bad I was because yeah. I framed a prompt in a way and it gave me an answer. And I was like, well, this is stupid. Exactly. And yeah. then I look at my prompt and I think, oh, uh, turns out the nuance I was going for wasn't clear. Humans... Everything that makes us special and amazing is the nuance. Yeah. That that exactly engine, and it's an amazing thing that we don't spend nearly enough attention on. So, what's the what's the what's the long game? How do how do how do you as a as a business persuade the world that persuasive communication or or at least human contact communication is is of more importance than than typing letters into their iPhone. If you asked me a year ago, I would have frustratingly told you that I don't. I, I'm not going to make it. Uh, that, that I'm going to fail. That people don't. There was not a big enough dragon for people to care about this. Yeah. Uh, and because I've spent, I've run my business for it, you know, 27 yeah. years next year, and nobody cares. We we can't get people to care enough about. It, it feels like a low order thing to yeah. be a good communicator. Yeah. Uh, or the highest of high orders. So Correct. CEOs buy us yeah. all the time. Yeah. That was my trick is that I got yeah. into all the CEOs. They get it. Yeah. The the mid-level managers, I've got, you know, I've got sleeves full of tattoos. Yeah. They could, just couldn't get their yeah. head around it. But now, now with the advent of AI, the human advantage is the only advantage we have left. Yes. If you want that to nuance. That nuance. Yeah. So if we understand that the thing that separates us is our ability to communicate authentically in front of other people. And that is the only way they can do it. Not your writing, not your emails, not your proposals, not your things you're sending, not your ideas, not your coding, not your art, yeah. nothing. Standing up in front of other humans or sitting down across the table from them, that is your unfair advantage. And finally, in my career, I have the catalyst to, to go and convince people that your business will be better than their business if your people have good common lexicon and language. Yep. It's a, one of our exciting products I'm, I'm loving at the moment is we're helping businesses build lexicons, words that when you leave the meeting, you know, if, I'm, if you're chatting to somebody, let's pretend we spent a couple of days together and then you're in a strategy meeting and you talk about a victory condition or yeah. guys, we don't know what the dragon is. Yeah. My lexicon lives in you, now we live in your business. The, creating that kind of communication tool and nuance uh, is gonna be everything. So Richard, am I right in thinking that you're moving to the UK? Yes, yeah, yeah, in February of next year. And what, what's the plan? What, is it bring Missing Link over here? Yeah, so Missing Link and 21 Tanks are two businesses to try and help businesses basically you know, define and design and disseminate their strategies more effectively. And uh, as I said, you know, I'm Scottish by birth. I, I want to be back here and I want to change the way uh, that businesses here uh, communicate. So if listeners are interested or, I mean, CEOs... I know there are many that listen. Would would like your services? Is it how how can people get in touch with you? Yep, so, so they can definitely reach out to you know I need missinglink dot com and they'll 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 find us there or getrich.af if they want to chat to me uh, personally. But I will be here every two That's months. That's a great handle. <laughs> yeah, I loved it. Uh, I was speaking in Saudi Arabia though, and they came up and said, "Why is your domain Afghanistan?" <laughs> 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 but the .dot af is a is yeah, a very yeah. underutilized. Yes. Yes, other yes, I'm sure that not many people. I wouldn't imagine. I wouldn't imagine many of my listeners know what 
AF meant in that terminology, but anyway. Potentially. The other one that we've got is for Missing Link. So I realized that giving domains on podcasts, our company is actually spelled msnglnk.com. Yeah. But I had to spell it everywhere in the world. It's terrible. So we bought ineedmissinglink.com because it's easy and you can just type it in. But what we also got as a short code is msng.wtf. There is a .wtf domain that is totally underutilized (laughs) as, as it happens. But um, I'm in the UK every two months or so up to there, and we're yeah. working with businesses on their conferences and roadshows and designs. And as I said, we do have a staff member here full time. So if anybody does want to chat, uh, I would love them to drop me a mail and a message, and we'll set up some time to engage with them around that. Rich, that's great. Now, as my regular listeners know, I like to close with three questions. So I'll take one at a time, if that's right. Your greatest inspiration or mentor? That's actually quite an easy one. It's a guy by the name of Offer Lapid. He was the guy who ran Gearhouse South Africa. And he just taught me to take what you do seriously, but not how you do it. Mm-hmm. He didn't take himself seriously yep. at all, and he built an absolute monster of a business. And he also taught me, uh, the words are my own, but the, the, the ethos was his, that the people in the market for boring are spoiled for choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody yeah. can find boring people, and you know, if you look and act like everybody else, there's a thousand people like you. So... In my first book, Legacide, I talk about the idea of being favorite rather than being best. Yes. And yeah. in order to be somebody's favorite, you need to be willing to be somebody else's worst. And, you know, that's what I got from Offer. Yeah. People hated Offer. You know, every of every 10 people he met, three hated him. Yeah. Uh, one or two... But was 70% win weight, that's yeah. not bad, is it, right? And one or two were indifferent to him. And actually, yeah. I, that's my worst. If I get off a stage yeah. and people are like, oh, you're all right. That's horrific. I would rather you absolutely hate yeah. me or, oh my God, that guy was brilliant. And and that's what Offer got. Like, well, it's the same, isn't it? It's everyone remembers who came first and who came last, but no one remembers anyone in the middle. Right, and yet we spend our life trying to be in the middle. Yeah. Offer taught me to play on the edges yeah. and to be totally okay to be hated. He's an amazing human. And then a book or, or books which have inspired you? Obviously, I love reading. Lots of books inspire me. Uh, the first thing I would say to everybody is read more fiction. Uh, the best books in the world right now are well-researched, re- fiction the, the idea that that's a novelty is is a mistrick mm-hmm. almost every smart person i know that's the unfair advantage they have yeah. uh but the happiness hypothesis by jonathan Haidt. yep uh, absolutely that one just really changed the way i think uh, i i love it very much from a business perspective uh, two books that were very important for me and definitely shaped me the first was uh, a book called selling the invisible by harry beckwith if you sell a service if you sell something that isn't a product now this book is so old but I remember reading it about 10 years after I, I, you know, I'd started missing. I remember reading it 10 years after I'd first read it. Yeah. And then I was so upset because all the ideas that I thought I came up with, I was like, oh, uh, I actually just got them from that book. Yeah. That was brilliant. And then um, the last one was, and it depends on where you are in your business life cycle, but it's a book called Your Business Brickyard by Howard Mann. And it basically starts with a line that says, do you remember when business used to be fun to run? <laughs> what happened? And it's for entrepreneurs that when you get to that 10-year mark, yep. uh, and then just purely from a business perspective, the, the book, if I could force feed any entrepreneur in the first year of their business one book, it would be Profit First uh, by my, Mike McElroy-Witz. <laughs> but uh, Profit First is absolutely incredible. Excellent. And then what piece of advice would you give to a young person starting out on their career to follow in your footsteps? Um. If by following your footsteps, you oh, it doesn't. Oh, what, I, let me take it as what piece of advice would you give to a young person starting out in their career? 
I mean, okay. So I'll, I'll answer the, the second bit in yeah. a second, but the, uh, don't believe the advice of old people talking to you about work-life balance. Work-life balance is a terrible trap. Right? You get compound investment on the time that you spend yeah. in, when you're 20. Yes. And this idea, when I see it's 20... very true, actually. I've never thought about it. Of course you do, yes. Yes. And so right now, everyone's talking about, oh, but I don't want to live like you. I, I want to have balance. Bro, I've got the best life ever. I've just been traveling for the last week. I went to a board game festival in Germany yeah. for a week. I went to Blink-182 on Sunday. Yeah. I have an amazing life because I hemorrhaged my 20s while my friends were getting drunk, building a business. Uh, young people, you have two skills uh, that are incredible that you don't realize you have. Skill number one is delusional self-belief, mm-hmm. right? Oh, some of us still have that, but anyway. Yeah, amazing. <laughs> so I've lost it. As I get older, I start realizing, oh, you're not that special. You don't know what you do. I start yeah. knowing what I don't know. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, yeah. oh, damn. Yeah. When I was 22, yeah. when I started Missing Link, I was standing in front of CEOs. So I went, because I was punk rock, yeah. I had shorts and T-shirt. And I was in front of CEOs. When I first started dressing up, I wore a suit and tie. Yeah. And then they looked at me like I was an intern. Because yeah, if somebody's yeah. in a suit and tie in here now yeah, yeah. You, and they're 20, you're like, oh, cute, man. Look, it's dress up for work day. But then when I walked into the CEOs of big banks and we worked with all, by the time I was 25, I'd worked with basically every CEO of the four banks in, in, in South Africa uh, on their big conferences and speeches. And because I was in shorts and T-shirts, they thought, oh, this is, must be you know, creative genius. Yeah. Like, look at him. He's so different. And... and I had delusional self-belief. So that's the first thing. And the bad news is it wears off. So by the time you get to your 30s, you lose that. So you got to use it now. And then the second thing is you have stamina. Yes. Uh, we were just talking a few minutes ago about going to bed early. Yeah. When we were 20-odd, right, uh, we could go out. I could go to a punk rock show uh, to yeah. 2, 3 in the morning, wake up, go to gym, yeah. ex- uh, work yeah. a full day, and then do it again the yeah. next night. Yeah. After the Blink concert on Sunday yes. night, I, yeah. mean, I needed an off day. Yeah. I was broken. <laughs> like I couldn't speak, I couldn't yeah. think. And so this superpower of stamina and delusional self-belief is so wasted. And why I go to war with universities at the moment is universities are trying to encourage you. Corporations are saying, if you want a big corporate job, you've got to be more educated than the last yes. person. Yeah. Therefore, you've got to stay in longer and achieve more. And they are stealing a lot of those years. Yeah. Like how with all AI, how are we not shortening? Yeah, yeah the education process. Yeah. Education process. So, so work-life balance is an achievement you unlock like any other achievement in a video yeah. game. And by all means, it should be on your list of victory conditions to get. But don't get it too early. You need to invest now so you can get the compound interest of that time later. But also come into the office. Yeah. <laughs> The biggest mistake I made with my son, I employed my son to work with us. He wanted to do it. Uh, but we are we are now a remote, remote business. Yeah. And I realized, oh, my goodness, at 48, I can be remote. Yes. Yeah. But at 20-year-old, he's dying. Yeah. He's dying, yeah. and he doesn't know what to do, yeah. and I'm ruining him. And I've said to him, you've got to go work somewhere else. Come back yeah. later. Yeah, exactly but right. you've got to go somewhere else. Get just, a job and go into work. You have to come into the office. You, th- again, it goes back to that human connection and nuance. 100% goes back to that. Then, and accidents, happy accidents. Yeah. So yeah. Missing Link, our offices were like these big crazy offices. We had a tattoo studio yeah. in them. We tattoo our clients for free. We had a fireman's ball thing. Yeah. And all of our meetings happened in big spaces. We didn't have, yeah. pro- we had one private meeting room, but mostly I'd be chatting to you yeah. and other people would be overhearing. Yeah. And so everybody learns by osmosis. Uh, correct. And there's no osmosis on a Zoom call. I completely agree. We work on a trading floor and therefore it's open plan like battery hens. But yet you learn so much and hear so much from other people around you that 
if you were starting your career now not to come into the office for four day at least four days a week i think it would be soul destroying i just don't know how you just don't know how you get to understand those nuances of the corporate world so i completely messed that up what happened in after 2020 i was like this is amazing yeah this is the best thing that's ever happened to me um but it's basically i'm like you know an old married man yeah I'm living at home. I come down, have lunch with my wife yeah, every day. Delightful, like it's right? Amazing. Delightful. And so I was like, "That's it. We're done." And the mistake I made is, and also efficiency. So meetings were an hour. Yeah. Now meetings are thirty minutes. Yeah. And they're perfectly efficient. Yeah. And the only thing I started realizing now that I've had to say to myself, "No, no, no. The pursuit of efficiency is terrible. Just like productivity. Don't be productive. Yeah. Don't be efficient. Inefficiency and unproductivity is where is the cracks that all the cool shit happens in." Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Um, no, I, I think that I we hope we don't have a lost generation, but uh, certainly come back to the office would be a. Would be yeah, a I totally agree. And I was far too late to realize that, almost um, embarrassingly so. So I guess having a domain WTF, are there, are there any other ways people can get hold of you? Yeah, in fact, one thing is not even, you don't actually have to get a hold of us. You just have to, you know, try it <laughs> and present better. And for that reason, we created a service called Atomic Talks. It's atomictalks.com. And what it was is I realized that a lot of business leaders, they read all the business books, and then they, they'll often buy copies and give them to their yeah. teams. Yeah. And, they're, I mean, they're the most unread books in the history of the world. In fact, as a very quick aside, is the reason I don't give away copies of my book. Because if I give you a book, you feel obliged to read it now. Yes, yes. Right? Whereas if you buy a copy of my book, then you'll read it because it's your choice. So seeing this frustration and knowing that I wanted leaders to be better at speaking and knowing that a well-structured talk is easy to deliver and wanting to prove that, we took the world's best business books and we turned like, you know, never split the difference, yeah. you know, uh, you know, uh, what's it, leadership, whatever, uh, Jocko Wilnick, yes, all yeah. of these things, right? So, and we took the world's top business books and we turned them into short 10-minute presentations that you can deliver the key messages of to your team in an interactive way. And you can just go, you download the deck. The full deck's absolutely free. You download the slides, you download or Prezi or PowerPoint, whatever you want. And then you watch the tutorial video and it teaches you how to engage with your team. It'll take you about, you know, a total of an hour of preparation time. And then you can go and present the lessons from, uh, you know, extreme ownership mm -hmm. there yeah. it is, <laughs> yeah. to your team uh, in a good, it's 10 minutes of delivery, but a 30 minute discussion on a Monday morning and the best thing is you're imparting knowledge, you're creating action around your business, and you're looking like a leader. Because if you give them the book, they read yeah. the book and they give it to the credit to them. Yes. But if you stand up and share it with your team, they get to uh, uh, feel like you were the one who brought them knowledge. And what's the website again for that? AtomicTalks.com. I think, Richard, this has been incredible and so very informative. And I hope to see you again when you're, when you're back in the UK on a bit more of a regular basis. I love that very much. Thank Rich, you so much. It's been great. Thanks very much for your time. Thanks very much for having me. Thanks for listening to Different Perspective, a Zeus podcast. If you'd like to feature on the podcast or get in touch, you can contact me on live at zeuscapital.co.uk. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.